So Mary didn't just deliver a baby that very first Christmas, she delivered hope. And hope is something that's in short supply all around us and maybe even among us. And so we wanted to devote this month of December to talking about Christmas hope. My name is Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here at Good Shepherd Church. And I know a lot of you are gathered together in person and others of you are gathering with us live stream. However you're gathering, we're glad to gather back with you and, and back at you. Last week's message was called Hope When You're Impatient. And today's message is, co- is called Hope When Things Aren't Going Your Way. Hope When Things Aren't Going Your Way. Next week, it's called Hope When Things Are Going Your Way, but you have to wait for that. Hope When Things Aren't Going Your Way. And it comes from, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate Luke chapter 1 in your Bible. Uh, and maybe your Bible looks like mine, or maybe your Bible's loaded on the phone. And however you can locate Luke chapter 1, just do it that way. And if If you didn't bring a Bible and it's not on your phone, the words are going to be up on the screen as we always endeavor to have them up on the screen whenever we gather. And and that's really because we we love the Bible at Good Shepherd. You may not know that. You may not be sure where you stand regarding the Bible yourself. We love it here. We don't worship it, but we love it because we know that loving the Bible helps us adore the Savior and we do worship him. And so we in leadership here, we believe that the entire biblical library, Luke and the other 65 books that make up the biblical library, that all of it is God-breathed, it is inspired and eternal and true. And again, you may not believe that yet, we just want you to know what we believe. And out of that conviction that it is inspired and eternal and true, when we talk about the Bible at this church, we lift it up. And and that might, might seem like an unusual custom to have. And we admit that it is mostly an unusual custom to have. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We are a community of people who do not have life figured out, but we know who does. And we're glad to surrender and submit to his authority. Amen. And so before I say any more words, give any more speechifying, let's pray. So Father, thank you that you're good. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to craft together this remarkable story of Jesus's life and death and resurrection and return. And and so I just pray that that same Holy Spirit would fill me in these moments from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, with everything good and necessary to convey your good news to this gathered community. I am powerless without you, but because of you, I'm never helpless. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I uh, told you all a few minutes ago, today's message is called Hope When Things Aren't Going Your Way, and we've all had that, haven't we? We've had days, we've, we've had seasons, we, we've had years when things just didn't go your way. Like the woman who got a job, new, new job at, as the HR director, new job, human resources director, at sort of a mid-sized company. And, and the woman, the new HR director, she'd really like to dress up well at work, kind of spiffy, etiquette, all the whole nine yards. And she wanted to convey that culture to the entire company. And, and very early in her tenure, maybe a little bit drunk with power that she's the new HR director and, and all dressed up. And she sees a colleague who she hasn't met and he's wearing jeans and it's not a Friday. And, and she, 
she says to him, you're dressed a little casually today, aren't we? And, and he says, it's one of the perks of owning the company, I guess. And things aren't going your way. You've, you've had that. Like, like when, you, when, you, when you find out that your health insurance cover, your policy covers you for falling off the roof, it just doesn't cover you for hitting the ground. <laughs> Things aren't going your way. Or when, when your twin sister forgets your birthday. <laughs> Things aren't going your way. When, when you're stuck in an elevator with a close talker with bad breath. Things aren't going your way, but there's more. When the diagnosis hits, when the spouse walks out, when the adult child has emotional, mental, emotionally mental issues, or maybe most of all, maybe most of all, when things are going well, when circumstances are just fine, and yet that looming sense of dread and gloom will not disappear. There is no logical explanation for it, and yet you can barely get out of bed in the morning. You know and I know what it's like to have those seasons, to have those days when things are not going your way. And when it comes to God and people's connections, what, what do we do with God? What do we do with faith? What do we do with church when things aren't going? Going our way and seem to refuse to go our way. And that's a subject that I have to deal with because, hello, I'm a preacher and this is a church and today is a Sunday. But I've, I've noticed that people bring a, a couple of different perspectives to this dilemma of when things aren't going your way. Some people just decide that there is no God, that, that a God who would be so resolute in making sure that things didn't go your way time after time and after time, that there must not be a God to allow such a chaotic world. And maybe you're there, maybe you're headed there, maybe you've been there before in your life. And then other people, maybe the conclusion that they reach is not quite like that, that there is a God, they, they believe, he's just a God who is against them. That, that they'd have to believe in God to hate him as much as they do in the moment. That, that God keeps opposing you and arranging your life for difficulty. And so while you may believe that God exists, you certainly don't want to give your life to him because things have not gone your way for so long. You've decided that by and large, you might have some role in it, but by and large, it is the fault of this God who has set his face against you. Things aren't going your way and where where is the hope for that where, where, wherever you stand with God where, where is the hope for that dilemma that so many of us feel and if of all the characters in scripture who would be justified in in asking that question how in the world can I have hope when things aren't going my way Zechariah say that name so, Y'all are so gullible, you did it. Yeah, Zechariah, he would be at the top of the list. Now, Zechariah, if you, if you were with us last week you, and paying attention, you may remember if you weren't with us last week, I'm so glad that you're here today. But in the way that Luke tells the Jesus story, the way he puts his biography of Jesus together. He's such a genius. He doesn't start with the main character, Jesus. He doesn't even start with the supporting character who is John the Baptist. 
He starts with the backstory of the supporting character, which is the story of John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth the Baptist, I guess is their last name. And we, we learned that last week that, that God's delay is not his denial. It's really his design to give you something better. And Zechariah, although he is very advanced in, in age, he has discovered... He has discovered through an angel telling him that he and his elderly wife, Elizabeth, are going to be in the family way ASAP. And so Luke just demonstrates his storytelling strategy. Hope's coming. Hope's going to be delivered, but you have to wait for it. And you have to wait for it so much, I'm not even going to tell you about John the Baptist first. I'm going to tell you about his backstory, which involves his elderly, elderly parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, as Luke chapter 1, are both elderly and they are holy and they are childless. So this is amazing news they have gotten that they're going to have a baby. But Zechariah, having this conversation with the angel, Zechariah can do the math. He knows he's old. He knows that Lizzie is old and he knows that the odds against them having a baby are long indeed. And so just like, precisely like Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, Zechariah questions the angel's message. Look at what he says in Luke chapter one and verses 18 through 20. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along. That's a very delicate way of phrasing. Husband, just jot that down. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. It's like, you are not dealing with any regular run-of-the-mill angel? Zechariah, I am Gabriel. And, And look what happens next. I stand in the presence of God and I have sent, been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my very words which will come true at their appointed time. Oh my goodness. Now, he gets the great news. You're gonna be a daddy. He gets this crushing news. You can't talk. And so he goes from the, the mountaintop to the valley, from, from, from the penthouse to the outhouse, from the, from the apex to the nadir, from, from really being, being able to celebrate, man, things are going my way to peak. Things are not going my way because I can't even talk anymore. And he does so in the, in the blink of an eye, the snap of a finger's. And maybe you've had that, that sort of that whiplash. Maybe you've even, you've even had that happen in your life. When things were going so well, you got such good news. You were in such a great season. And then just like that, whoo, mountaintop to valley, penthouse to outhouse was not just Zechariah's story and was your story. And in, in this case, it's been all because he dared to question the, the how much sense does this make about this news that the angel has told him? Well, Zechariah can't speak Hebrew because Gabriel said, you're not gonna, you, you're gonna be rendered mute for the next period of time. But, uh, but he, he can speak the universal language because look what happens in verses 23 
and 24, when his time of service was completed, and that means he was serving as a priest in the temple. So when his time of service was completed, he returned home, again, unable to speak. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So he, he, he returns home and though unable to speak, nevertheless, he and Elizabeth very, very delicately tells us they conceived a child against all odds, against all kinds of probability. And, and then for the next nine months, we assume Zechariah still cannot say a word. Things are not going his way because he's got so many stories to tell and he's got so many emotions to share and he can't do any of that. He can't share any of it. Things aren't going his way. And then the story picks up at verse 57 of the, of the same chapter. Look at what happens. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Now, in ancient times, you, you just need to know that, that they didn't have gender reveal parties. They, they didn't put a, a, a pink balloon on the mailbox for a girl and a blue balloon on the mailbox for a boy. They didn't do any of that. In fact, in ancient times, when it came to the gender of the child who was born, there were some uh, assumptions. There were, there, were, there were some things that everybody knew, conventional wisdom believed, that we would find curious at best and offensive at worst. Because when a boy was born... The band would start playing, people would start singing and dancing, and congratulations just abounded everywhere in the villages of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of ancient Israel. That's what happened when a boy was born. When it was girl, a girl, the band would unplug their amps and would never play the first note, and there was no celebration abounded. In fact, in fact, there was a saying in, in that day that said, when a boy is born, all of heaven rejoices, but when a girl is born, there is universal sorrow. Now, I don't tell you that so that you'll agree with it. In, in, in fact, you shouldn't. But I tell you that just so you'll know the cultural assumptions in the world to which Luke writes. And so when he says that Elizabeth had the baby and there's all kinds of celebrating, well, yeah, because the baby was a boy. And there's one other cultural assumption that you need to know for this story. And we see that one. And look what happens in verse 59. On the eighth day, this is the eighth day after the boy was born, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. You see, in our day, a baby rarely leaves the hospital without the name being given and without that name being on the birth certificate. But in ancient Israel, and this part is actually kind of cool, that a name wasn't given to a boy un until eight days later when that boy was circumcised. And the cool part is you don't get to be an individual until you're brought into the group, which is really kind of something missing in, in our, whole, uh, our whole setting, our understanding of life. And Hebrew names, Names, they tended to be really descriptive. Like you gave a boy a name for something that described him. Jacob, for example, Old Testament figure. His name means grabber. That's exactly what he was. And Samuel means asked for of God. And that's exactly what he was. And so conventional wisdom, cultural expectation 
is that because Elizabeth and Zechariah had had their, this boy and he was their firstborn, they were going to name it baby Zech. They were going to name him Zechariah. And, and by giving that name, that, that was going to ensure that the, the name would be passed on to the next generations and that would be the, the land and the property. So and there's so many things to celebrate in this moment if you do things the way they're supposed to be done, which doesn't happen. Because look what Elizabeth does in verse 60. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And, and this sort of defiance against expectations really causes all kinds of turmoil in, in, in the whole village. And they decide, well, because Elizabeth has told us this thing we don't want to hear, we got to turn to daddy to give us the last word, the final word on this. Except daddy can't speak any words, remember? He's been rendered mute for nine months. I know there are some wives in this place like, please, could that happen in my house? He has been rendered mute for nine months. And so look at what happens in verse, in verse uh, 62. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. Again, he had to write the name down because he couldn't speak the name out. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And I love what happens immediately in verse 64. Look at what it says. That's how I knew it was immediately because the next word is immediately. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. It doesn't say he began speaking. His tongue is set free and he began to speak praising God. So Zechariah's obedience here counteracts his disobedience, his questioning with the angel in the temple nine months earlier. And he begins to speak not only human speech, not just the Hebrew language, but he begins to have inspired speech. His tongue is set free and he begins to praise God. And actually a little bit later in the same chapter, he doesn't just, he's not satisfied just speaking and praising. He actually begins singing. There's this famous song called the Benedictus, and it goes verses 67 through 80, and you're welcome to read that. But that's one of those songs in the Bible that has stood the test of time. It's been part of the way churches celebrate Christmas for hundreds of years. It's part of readings. It's part of cantatas. It's really part of the church landscape. And it's all this inspired speech that comes from this man whose life was not going his way. And you put all the layers together. You put the waiting together. You put the fact that things went from going his way to not going his way like that, and then back to going his way. And another snap of the finger, blink of an eye. And and you see what all those nine months of enforced silence were all about. Here's what I want you to know. When, When you've lost hope, because things aren't going your way, good shepherd, what seems like punishment, is actually preparation. Yeah, what, what feels like God opposing you is actually God adoring you. What, what looks like an obstacle is actually God delivering you an opportunity. What seems like you are being punished, what seems like you are being put through the ringer is actually God loving you so much that he wants to knit you together and mature you together in a way that you'd never get to without that season of difficulty. What seemed like punishment for today is actually preparation for tomorrow. Man, 
Now, I, I believe this. I, I've lived this. I may have told some of you before about the job that I had uh, after college and before seminary. And if you don't know what seminary is, that's where like grad school for preachers. It's a three-year program where you go to learn how to do what I do. And, and so I had some years in between college and seminary. And the, the job that I had, the, my boss there decided to send me to speech therapy. Me! I was 24 years old and he's sending me to speech therapy and it turns out my boss thought that my, I, I, I spoke too much from up in my throat and that the pitch of my voice wasn't low enough and that I needed to, he knew a woman who could help me lower the pitch of my voice. And I was so angry and, 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 and embarrassed. And I was like, my voice isn't high. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't talk from up here. And, well, and, and he sent me to that woman and she taught me how to stop talking from up here and to start talking from down here. And she kindled something in me. And less than a year later, I was actually in that seminary preparing for a lifetime of giving messages on Sunday morning. And some of you are like, golly, I wish that had never happened. That was my, that my, that's my punishment, but no. So what, what felt like being punished, what, what felt almost embarrassing was actually preparation, the kind of thing that I would not give anything for. Or mom's, Moms in, in the house, well, what do they call that, pre, that thing that precedes delivery? They, they, don't, they don't call it vacation, do they? They don't call it ease. It's called labor, labor and delivery. It's this thing that is woven into the very fabric of the universe that what feels in the moment to us, like great difficulty, it feels like punishment from on high is actually preparation for something better coming on the other side. And, and, and you may well ask, well, why? why? Why does God work with us like that? Why, do, why does he insist on interacting with his people like that? Why couldn't he just give us the good stuff without the difficult season that precedes it? Well, in Zechariah's case, consider what he must have learned in those nine months of silence. I, I just have to believe that, that he thought, that he pondered, that he reflected, and that God did something in that season of difficulty so that when he emerged on the other side of it, the kind of legacy that he was able to leave would be one of depth and one of, of endurance. And so if you have a legacy that you want to leave, if you have an impact that you want to make and you want it to be thin and brief, well, yeah, you, you got to just be loving all that season of ease because that will be the result of your life, thin and brief in terms of its influence. But, but if you want that kind of legacy that lasts and that, and that has endurance, that doesn't happen in the blink of an eye or the snap of a fingers. It happens when God does things in you and through you, even in your seasons of difficulty, that in the moment it feels like you're being punished, and in the aftermath you realize you were being prepared for the glory of God. And think about Zechariah. When, when this happened in his life, he was already old. He, he was already Pious. He was already kind of a, a, a religiously mature person. 
And maybe the kind of person who could be excused for thinking, God's already showed me everything that he needs to show me. I'm, maybe the next great thing that God's gonna do in my life is take me home, is, is, is bring me back to him. And maybe you even thought that way. Maybe you regard yourself as mature in faith or mature in years or both, and, and there's nothing else that God can do in you and through you. Do not buy that lie. Because Zechariah didn't buy that lie, and he knew that God had taught him things in that silence, had taught him to resist conventional wisdom. I mean, think of all the pressure in that moment where, where the whole village says, you got to name that boy Zechariah. There has to be a Z Jr. coming in your family. You got to, you got to, you got to. That's what conventional wisdom says. And, and Zechariah bucks up against all that conventional wisdom and thunders out, his name is John. Because listen, you can follow conventional wisdom or you can follow the Lord Jesus Christ but you cannot follow both. What seems like punishment is actually preparation. So where, where is it with you? I, 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 maybe I really hope this message will help you make sense of your past and help you understand your present and maybe even more than that, prepare you for what may be on your way in the future. Where I don't know where it is for you. I don't know where it is that you've settled for average and God wants to send beautiful. I, I know there's probably people in this room and, and, and you're married and you've settled when it comes to marriage and the thought of going to a marriage class or the thought of going to marriage counseling, that seems like punishment. Oh, no, 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 no. And yet actually it's the deepest need that you have because God doesn't want you to settle for average. God longs for beautiful. Or maybe for you, what would seem like punishment is walking for that first time because you know you've got this behavior that controls you. You don't control it. And, and maybe what seems like punishment for you is walking into that counselor's office or walking into that 12-step meeting and, and, and you dread it, you don't want it, you dread it, you don't want it. And yet once you do it, you will understand this is the way to free. You've wanted an easier, softer way and God sends you a biblical truthful one what seems like punishment in the moment is preparation for the future a lot like a lot like the words of wait for it tom hanks in the movie a league of their own Let's check it out like this quitting you regret it for the rest of your life baseball is what gets inside you it's what lights you up you can't deny that that you are doing a good and a beautiful work 
even in the seasons of testing and trial. And I pray all of these things in the strong, saving name of Jesus. Amen.